1: Welcome to the Seahawks Man-to-Man Podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugard. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the Tweet Machine. You guys know where to follow me. I'm verified and all that good stuff. Uh, Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C. K.I.D.D. two zero six and that C.K.I.D. two zero six. And we're back with another midweek episode as we prepare for the Seahawks to host uh, the New York Giants. Chris and I don't follow the Giants that closely, so we called someone uh, who does. We have the homie Dan Duggan, who covers the Giants for the Athletic. Dan, what up, man? How's it going? Doing good. How about yourself? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing doing all right. Uh, you know, team's winning. Uh, that's good. You're covering a first place team, aren't you? Technically. Yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> if they're in the NFC West, they would be like four games out. First place over here. Uh, you know, before we get into the on-field stuff, you know, we we have been starting every you know episode where we have the uh, opposing team uh, beat writer uh, on the show. Just been getting into just the social justice aspect of every team, you know, every team's different, where they had voting initiatives or just had really vocal players, uh, whether protesting, I think the Cardinals are all staying in for the anthem, just just a wide range of things, like going from all the way to like May, um, to maybe the start of the season here, just kind of what did you learn about the Giants in that regard? What did you see? Was there any noteworthy players who were uh, especially vocal? Uh, Well, Saquon Barkley and Sterling
2: Shepard appeared in that that big video that Michael Thomas coordinated. Um, So that was, you know, they were kind of at the forefront there. Beyond that, no player has been particularly outspoken. I mean, I think they've actually really tried to have a sort of a a unified type message where they're not kind of putting stuff out individually that they, um, you know, at that point in training camp where everyone was kind of canceling practices or, or whatnot. They didn't cancel their practices, but they... Uh, basically spent their days, you know, more talking social justice issues instead of, you know, you know, watching practice film or whatever kind of mundane task would have been going on those days. Um, but, you know, I think Joe Judge as a first-year coach did a pretty good job of sort of letting his players sort of dictate how they were going to respond. Um, you know, he involved other leaders. And, and actually the, the reason why they didn't cancel practice, which was kind of noble in its own lane, I mean, there's the no right or wrong way to handle these things, was guys just feeling like with a condensed training camp, you know, I think there was actually just sort of a scrimmage that day when everything really popped off, and they were like, well, that would really be kind of hurting the chances of young guys who, you know, aren't getting preseason games, getting limited practices. So that was why they went against canceled practices, which a lot of teams did. Um, and then just overall, they did a whole initiative that really started in the spring. Uh, they called it their team of teams. I think there's like nine teams where um, guys were able to choose, you know, whatever cause kind of was closest to them, whether it's, you know, community policing or homelessness or, you know, hunger, just, a, you know, a multitude of sort of factors that, you know, people are dealing with in society um, all throughout this area and, and guys are just kind of doing work with that, you know, obviously all virtually for the most part, um, but, you know, trying to, trying to help out that way. And that's kind of been coordinated through the team and I think guys have, you know, gone above and beyond, but um, so they've kind of had like a, sort of a, a holistic approach and not, they haven't just focused on one thing. They're really just trying to do as much as they can. So, you know, make a
1: difference uh to use a cliche has there was there anything from you know levels higher than joe at the at the ownership level or general manager level i know a lot of players really active about like hey you guys got the the resources and the influence we need your help
2: uh not that i could think of certainly not like you know general manager level i mean uh, i'm trying to think ownership i don't i don't recall i mean i think um you know i think john mara and steve tish were involved in some of those discussions that were going on and um john mara is a very like hands-on owner so i know he certainly probably played a role but there wasn't any you know calling out of him maybe it's because he isn't you know sort of like an absentee owner he is here so guys you know they know more than you know that i know what was going on behind the scenes maybe he was more involved than that than i'm aware of but there was no situation where uh, you know guys felt like ownership wasn't doing anything i think that for, from what i could tell um you know they seem satisfied with you know ownership's involvement
1: uh, I want to get into Joe Judge a little bit, actually a lot of bit, uh, depending on how <laughs> much how much time we have. Because I, I, I honestly I had no idea who Joe Judge was when they hired Joe Judge. I was like, oh okay, yes. that's just a, join just... join the club. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, I hired a guy, good luck. Uh, and then I started to see like a lot of your reports in, in training camp with just like the little things where I was like, oh, this isn't gonna work. You got the I think taping <laughs> the to the, the tennis balls to the DBs hands, you know, teach them not to hold. Uh, that not putting the names on the back of the on the jerseys during camp. Uh, I think it was your report. I saw that he was making coaches run laps as well. When they, when they screwed up, man, like what, what in the world was going through Joe judge's mind? Like all, all training camp. Yeah.
2: Well, it's funny. I mean, a lot of those things you mentioned, uh, they came off as like, uh, so different and unique. And, and, you know, I certainly hadn't seen it here. This is my fifth year on the beat. and You know, Pat Sherman, Ben McAdoo certainly wouldn't qualify as like outside the box thinkers. Um, but, a lot of it, not surprisingly, originated in New England. Um, you know, the no—I mean, Belichick one year, I think, in OTAs didn't even have numbers on the jerseys, so that—that's certainly something he took out of his book. Um, you know, the the tennis ball things—that was just—he uh, he got creative. Uh, I guess there was too much holding going on in the secondary, and you know, obviously, you can't hold, you can't make a fist and close your hands. So, uh, no, I mean, it was definitely a lot of a lot of noise. I mean, it was funny because he's you know a pretty no-nonsense guy not a, like a big personality although if you get to know him he, he does it more than maybe comes across um so for him to be like bandied about on like you know the big talk shows and all those you know debate shows it was kind of funny because that's really not um you know how he carries himself and how i don't think he was you know dying to be you know and skip bayless's crosshairs or anything like that but that's sort of how it how it played out um but I think that it definitely could have gone, you know, sideways, and you know, like a lot of former players and people outside said, "Oh, yeah, players aren't gonna aren't going to respond to this." And then you start zero and five, you think of ever guys were going to jump ship, uh, that was the opportunity. But one way or another, he's he really kept guys, uh, you know, on board and bought in, and you know, we're seeing sort of the results. Of that actually like said they they started zero five, and, and now they're four and seven. So you know, there's definitely been uh, some progress. Um, I think the key he has is you know a lot of those New England guys have the you know try to be Belichick thing, and from afar maybe it seemed like that, but I do think he's you know genuinely being his own guy. I mean, he's obviously borrowing a lot of Belichick's principles, but uh, his personality is far different than Belichick at least from what, I, from what I know of Belichick. I think he does do a pretty good job connecting with players. I mean, he's 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 strict, and there's a big emphasis on discipline. But he also you know is a good guy and lets you know a guy go home if he's a family situation, just like little stuff like that that I think players appreciate. Um, so I think that's helped, you know, kind of facilitate the buy-in, despite having sort of such a strict structure.
1: So what was up with the coaches having to, to, to take these trots around the field after they screwed up? Like, what was going on there?
2: Well, see, that one kind of got blown out of proportion. If, if a player made a mistake, like a fumbled snap or a false start, the player had to run a lap. Now, I, I don't exactly remember the circumstances. They were on the other end of the field, and, and, you know, I don't know how it was in Seattle, but we're pretty far away nowadays, especially with COVID um and i think the offense made us screwed up like twice in a row like some sort of pre-snap thing or ran the wrong play whatever it was um and so then like the whole offense had to run or uh, maybe it was the defense i honestly can't remember and the coaches from that side of the ball ran as well it wasn't like judge was like you know Brett bielman get on the line
1: uh, okay, um, okay. i think
2: they just did it sort of as a sign of unity like that listen you know we all screwed up so we'll all kind of it's not like every time that you know there's a penalty. The DC has to run a lap or something like that. It was it was really a one-time deal, and certainly, uh, you know, blew up. You know, you heard about it in Seattle, but it, that that really wasn't um, as big a deal as it was made out to be. And The players, they did every time. You know, they'd make a sort of a mental mistake. They would have to run, but not the coaches.
3: Wow, it sounds as if he watched a lot of remember the Titans, based on the fact <laughs> that he's making <laughs> you drop a pass. Well, you ran a mile, so he just made him run a lap, pretty much.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's it's a slow jog. Uh, I think it's more, uh, you know, just just the idea. Uh, his whole thing is, you know, in games there's consequences. You know, if you commit a penalty, there's five ten yards. And in in, uh, in practice, you false start, you know, your penalty is you got to miss some reps and jog a lab. Um, but yeah, it really wasn't as as intense as, as it sort of probably came across. I mean, it's the same again. It's the same thing they do in New England, um, and no one questioned it up there. You know, a new guy coming in here it raised some eyebrows, but um, you know I don't. You know we're not at practice anymore. I, I assume they're still running laps, but <laughs> I haven't really heard too much complaining about it.
3: How did the? Oh, so the players really didn't complain about it. You just mentioned that. Okay, well that sounds like it, it, he got his point across. I just looked up a, an interesting stat about the Giants and penalties and holding, and they're doing pretty good.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it's like anything. If if you if you try something and it works, then players are going to buy in. And I think one thing to to kind of put a bow on that is there's a lot of young players on this team and a lot of guys who either had previous relationship with judge or Patrick Graham or, or guys in the staff. So they brought in veterans who kind of knew the deal from the new England ways. And then you got guys who were coming from college programs and I'm sure playing for Nick Saban and Kirby smart and all those types of coaches. This is probably like a picnic compared to that. So like guys were used to this type of coaching. And then I'll tell you right now, the first guy, if I was to identify who might've been a problem was golden Tate. And sure enough, he's the guy who ended up in Joe Judge's doghouse pretty early in the season, griping about his role, griping about touches. And that's the kind of guy you would think it could happen because he's been around forever. He's like, you know, this is not how we we did it when we were in the Super Bowls. This is stupid. You know, whatever. And it came to a head, but Judge handled it. You know, basically got a one-game suspension and then came back like nothing ever happened and and didn't rock the boat. And and is back to, you know, being the number three receiver. Uh, But that's the type of guy that, you kind of knew it would probably be a problem, a veteran who's established, but the the benefit for Judge trying to put this program in is he's got so many young guys and so many guys who are already kind of bought in because of sort of a previous connection to him and the staff
1: uh you know when i seen the the, the coaches running laps thing i had a feeling there was some more context there but it was just really funny to laugh at the giant <laughs> yeah, <of> from, <laughs> from from afar i I was exchanging uh what was i talking to somebody on twitter and i was like man we're about to learn if joe judge can fight uh this year uh <laughs> and what do you know i know that it, it did not be in real but it was uh when i seen the report of what's the o-line coach that the, the report was that they they got in a fist fight who's that dude's name oh
2: yeah mark colombo yeah and again again that was another one that really you know took on some legs and, and listen that from everything i've heard that was a very heated exchange um and it's you know it's big guys i mean joe judge is not a small guy i mean he played college football at mississippi state he's probably i don't know six two and you know in, in the 200 pounds somewhere but mark colombo is six eight and probably around 300 pounds I mean, this guy played offensive tackle in the nfl for a long time and he still looks like he could play um so those guys getting heated is certainly going to be uh, a pretty volatile situation but you know I also think you know the report was that Colombo, you know, got the better and we spoke to Judge the next morning on Zoom and um, you know, either he had a really good makeup artist or you know, it really proves that that report was, was false because again if, if a six eight, three hundred pound former NFL player is, is landing blows on a guy, I think I think something would show up and and Judge didn't look any worse for the wear. But no, that was that was a big dramatic thing and um uh, you know it didn't seem I mean they put the Bengals but it didn't seem to affect them on Sunday they kind of just kept it rolling um you know I don't want to act like Joe Judge has, has it all figured out they're four and seven and they beat you know Washington twice uh you know a Philly team that's you know totally spiraling and Cincy but it just the vibe feels uh, a lot different than it could be especially when you think about you know where the outside perception was uh
1: in the summer it hasn't gone off the rails by any stretch. Chris just showed me a picture of uh, of the O-line coach. Well, he's former now. I was like, oh, man, yeah. That, There's like three dudes in general, I would assume, that on an NFL staff, you probably just don't want to fight, right? It's the strength and conditioning coach. Like, that. That usually just don't want smoke with that dude. Probably with the D-line coach as well because he's yeah. probably a former D-lineman. And then the O-line coach, especially if he is, like in this case, a former O-lineman. <laughs> you just don't want beef with any of those three. So, yeah, when I seen that, I was like, oh, man, yeah. If, if he got in a fist fight, that would have been – that that have been hilarious, uh, Dan. I'm a, I'm gonna ask you my favorite question that asks every every opposing team beat writer when they come on the show: Is Daniel Jones good? <laughs>
2: this is probably asking for a, a short answer. but I don't have one. I mean, it, it's hard to say. Uh, that's the question we're all really trying to get the answer to this season. Um, you know, cause I think his rookie year there was definitely some promise. I mean, and you know, obviously grading rookies on a curve. His, his big issue was fumbles. Um, but throwing the ball, he had some really big games, you know, three hundred yards, four touchdowns. Um, there was a lot to like. Obviously they didn't win a lot, they weren't a very good team. So you came into year two thinking like this is a time when a lot of guys, you know, make the quote unquote leap and definitely haven't seen that. You know, he the one thing that's funny, he's actually kind of curtailed the fumbles, um, but he's not producing, you know, as a passer anywhere near what he did last year. I mean, I think he only has eight touchdown passes through uh eleven games. I mean that that's it's, I think some I saw someone today. Dak Prescott still has more touchdown passes than Daniel Jones. Oh my god!
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, so that that kind of tells you how you know, sort of weak this passing attack has been. Um, he's been he played better recently. Um, he hadn't had a turnover in his last three games, but unfortunately, that that little momentum uh, hit a speed bump because he injured his hamstring in the second half against Cincinnati, and very likely is going to be out this week um so now we're talking a situation where maybe he's back the next week and is, is he going to be dealing with the hamstring I think it's gonna be hard to really get that answer I mean I, I will say this I think the Giants believe in him you know maybe more than the outside world I don't think there's any chance that um you know they take a quarterback again you know they took him six two years ago I think if, if they went belly up this year and had a chance to you get know, like Trevor Lawrence or we're gonna have the number two pick I think it's a serious discussion but the fact that the Uh, strung enough wins together here where they're probably worst case scenario going to be picking like 6th or 8th I don't think they're going to be trying to get like the 3rd or 4th best quarterback in this class so I think Jones gets another year but I I think you would have hoped going into year 3 to know a little bit more of, of what he is. And I don't see how you could have a definitive feeling like, yes, this is a definite franchise quarterback. And he's also definitely not like a, a stiff who can't play. Like he's somewhere in that that wide middle ground and just, you know, kind of where he falls in that spectrum is still uh, very much to be determined. So long answer to a short question.
1: What was your favorite reaction or meme uh, after he fell on his face uh, on primetime on that long run? Oh, my <laughs>
2: Yeah, that was that was something. I mean, I think that just the the first one comes to my mind was just the, the obvious one was just like someone put like a sniper scope on them. You know, just like <laughs> I mean, there was some good ones. I to think back, but that one was just you know, it just what it looked like is like how else do you explain you know guys running free and then just totally wiped out like that.
1: That was that was something. I know you mentioned Daniel won't, probably won't play against Seattle, so before we jump to Colt, I got one more Daniel uh, Jones question. What do you think, like, if he, if he comes back next year, they're like, all right, well, cool, we're all in. We're not going to take a quarterback. Let's say they invest in something, a receiver, low old lineman or something instead in the first round. What do you think ultimately is like a, a Daniel Jones ceiling? Like, how good could he be if he reaches the potential the people in the Giants building think he has?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know, but within the building, I would say, like, what I even going back to the draft and, and what I saw more from his rookie year, like, I think like Matt Ryan is is probably reasonable. And, like, I don't know how people would look at that. Cause, I mean, Matt Ryan was an MVP and made a Super Bowl. Otherwise, it's just been, like, a good quarterback but never would be, like, considered other than the MVP year, really, I don't think, you know, top three or top five. Like, I feel pretty confident saying Daniel Jones is never going to be, like, in Patrick Mahomes' stratosphere. Um, but then it's, yeah, it's, is he – is he more like Andy Dalton, or is he more like Matt Ryan? You know, is he Alex Smith, which is maybe somewhere in the middle? I, that's the part I don't really know. Um, you know, he hasn't won a lot of games, but he feels like a guy that, um, you know, is, is, like, capable of being, like, an 8-and-8 eight eight quarterback. Is he capable of being a 11-and-5, 12-and-4 guy? That's the part we haven't seen. Obviously, like, you know, you said, you know, what they do in the draft. I mean, they have to keep building this roster. It's, it's you know, they really don't have a very strong roster. Even to have four wins is probably more than people might have expected just based on, uh, what this team looks like on paper. Um, but, yeah, so I would say ceiling, I, I think Matt Ryan, and I, like, I don't know how, even, again, I don't know how that's viewed. I think that's a pretty good ceiling, but it's not like, oh, man, you have your franchise guy and you're going to be competing for Super Bowls every year. He, I, I don't see him having that, that high of a ceiling.
3: When you look at some of these games that the Giants have lost, I mean, week one they lose to a, a talented Pittsburgh team who is still undefeated by 10, lose at Chicago by four. You get dusted by the Niners. When you look at this team and how they lose games, I know the cliche of wording is always, hey, we were close, but it doesn't really matter. We still lost. What are some positives you can actually take from these games that where they played, it looks like they played pretty well on paper.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
4: My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop myPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Yeah, no,
2: I mean th- that San Francisco game felt like oh boy, because like, like San Francisco was decimated with injuries. Uh, you know, they had Bosa and Jimmy Rappolo and Kittle. You know, on and on and on. All those guys got hurt the week before. Uh, Richard Sherman didn't play. Like there's so many guys out, and they came in here and just blew them out of the building. So you said like, oh boy, like you know the, this team is in trouble. And then I th- I'm trying to remember the order. I think week four they went out to LA. You thought they were going to get absolutely smoked by the Rams, and they played them 17 to nine. Like the offense was really struggling early in the year, but this defense is, other than that San Francisco game, has been legit and, and has kept them in every game. I mean, and the offense again has not been great. It's starting to make some strides. I mean, you know, most games are in like the low twenties. It's not like they're putting up a lot of points at any point, but the defense isn't giving up. You know, thirty-six whatever they gave in that San Francisco game. They're they're allowing um, the team to be competitive. And as you mentioned, all the close games. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the losers the losers' lament. Like, oh, look how many close games we had. No one ever says look how many close wins we had because you can easily look at the Giants' schedule. Every game they've won except for the second Philly game was a close game. They're just in a lot of close games, and I think that is really a testament to the coaching staff that, you know, the game plan wise, they always seem to find a way to limit an opponent's, you know, what they do best. They, they managed to hide some of their biggest weaknesses. Now that'll be put to the test uh, with Seattle's passing attack, because I don't think that's a great mix for the giants. I'll be very interested to see what they do, how they, how they try and defend them. But week in and week out, they have done a, a good job of coming up with a plan to at least, you know, make games competitive and then what they've done recently is found a way to pull these out. But again, that I think is probably more, uh, you know, level of competition. Um, so you know, the, it's going to step up here. So even if they can keep it close against Seattle, it'll be a whole another ball game to actually you know beat Seattle. And, and especially without Daniels, you don't think it's it's quite a long shot. But I think that's the thing that you know we, we saw them play a lot of close games against better teams. Now they're winning close games against you know teams that are around their same level. Now the question is, can they find a way to win close games against good teams? And that's what we'll really find out. They have a tough stretch here coming up, so I think it's going to be uh, pretty revealing. That's why it would be nice if Jones came back. I think we're just helping the evaluation of him to see how he does in quote-unquote big games uh, you know, here in December.
3: You guys did lose a huge focal point of your offense in Saquon Barkley Week 2 against Chicago, and that loss there. How has Daniel Jones, I guess, weathered? the weapons that he has and try to go out there and compete. I mean, you did mention they beat teams that are around their same level, but now they have an ultimate test going up against the Seahawks this coming Sunday, then Arizona and the list goes on.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like no one really talks about Saquon that much anymore. And I don't mean that as like a slight or anything. It's just like, that's how the nature of the NFL is. You kind of just move on. But if you do step back once in a while, it's like, I mean, this whole offense was basically built around him. You take him out uh, the second quarter of week two, so That that's a pretty big, blow to get get dealt but again no one cares no one feels bad for the nfl and his injuries every week and you know this year with covid there's even more kind of complications but um that was definitely a big blow i mean their weapons are you know all i would say a lot of complementary pieces they don't really have like you know an alpha guy like a dk Metcalf. i mean like sterling Shepard is a very solid number two guy darius slayton would be a probably a solid number two guy like he can make some big plays and then he disappears for long stretches Uh, Evan Engram is super up and down like he'll make some great plays and then he'll make a couple boneheaded plays and that's just sort of been the story of his career um so without Saquon they totally lack that that game-breaking presence but I will say their run game has been surprisingly effective um you know it all kind of goes together where they just sort of hit their stride, so to speak, around week five, where, you know, again, they, they you know, haven't become like a juggernaut, but they figured out what this group can do. The off the line has a lot of young players and new pieces. They're starting to gel. Wayne Gallman, who's sort of just always been in Saquon's shadow, has really made the most of his opportunities. He's a guy who's not going to go 80 yards to the house like Saquon, but he's actually a little bit better in terms of, like, every time he touches the ball, he's getting three or four yards, whereas Saquon, you know, had the little Barry Sanders, where it'd be like minus two, minus two, 68, you know? Like, Gallman's a little more like six, six, four, and it's just consistently moving the chains. Um, you know, obviously, both styles have their pros and cons, and, and you, certain giants would certainly welcome Saquon back. Uh, But they have been able to find at least, you know, a functional run game between Gallman and between the offensive line making strides.
3: You did mention a guy that I wanted to bring up in Evan Ingram. You guys drafted him 17th overall in the first round in 2017, and you called it bonehead plays. Is there anything else to add to why he hasn't been this dynamic tight end that they thought they were getting?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's like he was obviously drafted as a, a receiving threat. Like, he's not a very good blocker, and, and he tried. I mean, he's just basically like a big slot receiver. He's just not built to be an inline guy. So that's another thing I think like this coaching staff, you know, they're the third different coaching staff who's tried to make him be an inline guy, and it just doesn't work. They, they at least figure that out quicker than some of the other staffs and have done less of that. He basically plays a lot of just like detached tight end, where he's almost like, like, I said, like a big slot receiver um and, yeah, and bonehead might be a little rough i'm, I'm really thinking bonehead because he just had a bad fumble last week in cincinnati where like he was like kind of like army crawling trying to get a yard and it got punched out of his hand it was just like you know kind of wasn't much to gain for what he was trying to do um and he had a huge drop uh thursday night game at philly where if he catches it, it was, like two minutes left would ice the game goes through his hands that was a third down they end up losing that game you know at the last minute uh so he just seemed to like have big spots where he doesn't deliver it's like a disproportionate amount of Daniel Jones' interceptions have been on passes intended for Ingram, and it's mm. not even to say that it's his fault. It just feels like kind of trouble finds him in, in a way. Um, so yeah, it, it's. Uh, but then he'll make you know two great deep balls uh, against Cincinnati. So he's he's a guy you kind of have to live with the bad and hope the good outweighs it. And and those scales have been like a little too even. They need that good scale to to start tipping up a little bit more. Um, but he is a dynamic, you know, piece of this offense. They don't have a lot of dynamic pieces, so they they kind of have no choice but to live with it for now.
1: On a scale of like one to we're screwed, how 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 are the Giants feeling about uh, starting Colt McCoy uh, on Sunday? Well, I mean, they're all you
2: know saying the right things publicly. Um, I would think they're pretty high on the screw scale if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> from from what we've seen of Colt McCoy's career and, and what I saw when he came in on Sunday, I mean, granted. Sunday's a tough spot you're coming into a game where he has not taken a snap in a game all season um you know you throw him in cold it's a little tough but it just felt like they got really conservative um you know he doesn't have a really strong arm so they certainly weren't going to take any shots it was a close game at that point they were just basically trying to get out of there with the win I felt like so maybe they open it up a little bit but I, I don't see him as a guy who's going to be you know spraying the ball all over the field um you know as much as I've, Jones was kind of inconsistent, I mean talking about ceilings i mean his is you know much higher than, than colt mccoy's i mean colt mccoy is what he is i mean he's kind of like this gritty like savvy backup you want that you can put in and, and survive a game like cincinnati he's not a guy you want to start two or three games here which you know, we don't know how long jones will be out for but that, that could be the the outcome and I, I don't think that would go really well i mean again you just look at his track record he's, he's just not a super talented guy who can just go out and you know defeat nfl defenses he has never proven that no reason to think all of a sudden here in like year 11 uh, something's going to magically click. So I think they'll be t- sort of similar to what they did against Cincinnati when he came in and just try to have him manage the game. You know, don't don't make any uh, killer turnovers. Hope the defense can can let him stick around. I think that's a taller task when you're talking about Seattle versus uh, Cincinnati without Joe Burrow. But I think that's their only path to victory. I don't think they can come out and say, you know what, screw it. we're going to sling it with Colt McCoy. I don't <laughs> think that'll turn out well.
1: No, you don't think uh, with the with the gritty vet <laughs> they come out here and try to light up the Seahawks D? <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't think that would go real well. No, I, I mean, God bless if that's the plan. I'm not going to lie. I was uh, I was watching because, um, you know, the Seahawks didn't play Sunday. So, I like, okay, let me check around the league, see what's going on here. And at one point, I was checking box scores, and I was like, M. Glennon, C. McCoy. What the <laughs> hell? Is, what what year is it? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, well, I mean, you had you had Colt McCoy and, and Brandon
2: Allen squaring off in a game that had playoff implications. So that tells us something about the state of quarterbacks uh, right now. With, with Once Jones and Burrow were, were injured, it was a pretty pretty grim matchup in the second half on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I was like, "Oh, what, what's going on here?" I was like, "Why is Colt McCoy here in my in my in my NFL Jesus box scores thing?" Um, uh, <laughs> Golden, Golden Tate's a name people remember around here. Um, it's I think this will be a second time playing the Seahawks, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm curious about how you mentioned him getting in the doghouse because he's basically, like, I'm an old dude. I ain't with all this, you know, you tape <laughs> this this stuff. You on Joe? Uh, but you said he got out of the doghouse. Like, how how has that been for Golden Tate uh, this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, he he was. Uh, You know, understandably upset because, you know, they really – he's the third receiver. Slayton and Shepard, you know, are the two starters, and then uh, Tate's the slot guy. So if they run two tight ends, Tate doesn't play. And even when Shepard missed four or five games with turf, though – they were playing other guys over Tate because, again, they he doesn't. They just don't play him outside, which is, you know, understandably he's a slot guy. Uh, but I think it has to be hard for him to see, like, the likes of C.J. Board and Damian Ratley playing more snaps than him. So that just built and built and built. And then, um, you know, he had the Monday night game against Tampa Bay where he caught a pass and yelled to the camera, like, throw me the damn ball. And then he yelled it toward the sideline. He made a big touchdown catch late in the game. And it, it was funny because it was like every time they did throw him the ball, he did make big plays. And it's funny. I don't think he could get open if you or I were covering him. But it doesn't matter because he catches it. Like, the guys are always draped all over him. Can't get any separation. But he makes big catches. So, uh, I understood his frustration to that extent. He didn't really handle it that great. Um, but, yeah, so he had the sort of one-game suspension. They didn't bring him on the trip to Washington. And then he spoke the next week. And, you know, sounded all the right messages, you know, was contrite, took, took the blame for, um, you know, sort of his actions. And it was seems, seemingly it was water under the bridge. Now I don't think he's going to be back next year. I'm sure he has a big cap hit. I'm sure they're going to move on. And I don't think he'll be upset by that so to leave Joe Judge in his rear view. But, you know, he's a professional. I think he realizes he needs to produce because if and when he does get cut, he's going to want to be attractive to another team um you know you know he's planning to hang him up anytime soon so uh it's in his best interest to kind of keep his mouth shut and play and and he's definitely done that i mean he's he's not what he once was i mean he always he always tweets about being like the yak king and and he doesn't really have that sort of um you know ability in the open field that he once had but he's you know he's a reliable guy like i said it doesn't look like he's ever open but he somehow makes catches and he just has sort of that Uh, sort of savvy, and he's just kind of an athlete. He just makes plays, but uh, he's not not a big part of the offense. Uh, Shepard's back, so uh, I actually think with McCoy in there, they might use him more, because again, I don't think McCoy will be airing it out, so if you're looking for a guy to move the chains, I mean, that is sort of what Golden Tate does, so um, maybe he does have a a bigger role uh, against the Seahawks than he's had to this point.
1: Did did, uh, Golden ever speak after uh, the game against the Rams, but you know, when he had the beef with him and Jalen Ramsey again. If you listen to the show now, just go ahead and Google that. We don't have time to dig into to the history there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, did there's he a, there's a lot there. Uh, yeah, there is a uh, lot. He actually, he actually did speak that week and um
2: you know I think on that one he, he didn't get you know sounds like a ton of school kids he didn't get in trouble for that one because I, apparently Ramsey really was the uh the instigator and the aggressor there. So I mean if a guy swings at you, you know, what are you gonna do? So um, you know, there was obviously some, some drama with them leading into that. But it, as far as what happened after the game, it doesn't really feel like Tate did anything wrong. So, he, you know, he spoke, but definitely did the kind of typical, you know, we're moving forward um, type of deal and didn't, didn't really dwell on it didn't really go down that road too much. But um, so that, that was just sort of a, a blip on the radar because I don't really think he was necessarily a fault uh, for how that all went down.
3: I want to flip to the defensive side. And you got the Giants have a solid run game. They're fifth in the NFL with rushing a lot rushing yards allowed how do you see this rush defense faring against the duo of Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde considering Seahawks just got back Chris Carson he looks to be 100 percent
2: uh well I mean for them to have a chance it has to basically shut them down um because again I think the pass problem the pass uh and passing offensive Seattle poses a much bigger problem so uh I mean that's the strength of their defense they have a lot invested there I mean Leonard Williams is playing on the franchise tag Dexter Lawrence is a former first-round pick, Dalvin Tomlinson, the former second-round pick. I mean, they, they have some talent up there. It's probably the one position group they actually have um, some pretty solid talent across the board. And then even Blake Martinez, at inside linebacker, he's one of the highest-paid inside linebackers, and, and he's really strong against the run. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to shut down Seattle's rushing attack, but if they don't, it's in huge trouble because they need to you know, stop the run and you know force them into obvious passing situations where you know Patrick Graham get creative with his coverages and find a way to you know get some sort of pressure on, on Wilson. But um, they they really haven't, like you said. I mean, they're fifth in the league. I mean, they haven't been run on very much at all this year. Um, those guys up front are, are pretty stout. So I would be surprised if Seattle gashes them. Um, but again, if, if for the Giants have any chance, they they need to really kind of shut that down. Um, but like they have done uh, in most games this season.
1: You know, it's very rare we talk about a player who isn't on, uh, you know, the opposing team anymore. But in this instance, I feel like we have to. We have to talk about DeAndre Baker, even if only for a little bit here. Because I, th- I think I tweeted once, I was like, there is, there was like at least 17 different moments when I thought Quentin Dunbar would never suit up uh, for the Seahawks. It might have been after he got an interception. Uh, and I don't, I don't think DeAndre has suited up for the Chiefs yet this year, but he could. Like how many different times were you like, yo, DeAndre's a never going to play for the Giants and B, DeAndre's probably going to go to prison?
2: Yeah, that was a wild one. I mean, I know we were you know talking in Slack back uh, when everything kind of first dropped I think it was within May. That was pretty wild, you know. that first affidavit that came out was like, "Whoa, like out of a movie or something." Um and yeah, it was it was strange. I mean, cuz with with Dunbar, it feels like either he had a a better agent or a, I mean, a lawyer or like a much worse one because his, <laughs> his, basically his lawyer ended up getting like disbarred but he uh he was the one who got kind of off scot-free and, and was back playing and meanwhile baker was really tied up in the whole legal process um and I, you know of course things everything got dropped
1: uh and we certainly don't have time to, to to relive every twist and turn of that. no that, no we do not seriously be a law and order <laughs> series be like one
2: episode um but I mean, as far as with the Giants, I knew right like pretty early, um, you know, that he was not going to be back here. Because um, the thing with him is, he, he didn't have a very distinguished rookie year on the field or in the locker room. I'm not talking about off the field in terms of legal stuff. I mean, he played very poorly, wasn't very committed. Uh, you know, was just was just was not a professional. And like they, he wasn't thought very highly of in the building. Even even in the uh, off season, it's a virtual program. Grants it's voluntary. He wasn't even going to, you know, tuning into all those Zoom calls. I mean, it's a new staff. You think you may want to put your best foot forward. So there was a a lot of baggage there. Then when this happened, I mean, listen, we'll never know what happened. I think we all know something happened, but, uh, you know, no one can figure out exactly what happened. It's just obviously quite a messy situation. But I just think the Giants, you know, looked at the situation and and just said, uh, you know, no thanks. Um, We're we're fine with moving on. That's a tough thing to do with, you know, the first-round pick um they just made you know a big investment in and then uh with landing with the chiefs i mean listen that's the way the nfl is i mean you know once the charges get dropped you know someone else it's not really their problem the giants kind of endured all the bad headlines the chiefs sneak him on the practice squad no one really probably even raises an eyebrow very much and then yeah who knows maybe he ends up you know getting on the field and playing for them on the super bowl run so can't say it worked out well for deandre baker because um, you know, he basically lost a season and his reputation got dragged through the mud and I'm sure he lost some money in the process but it might, might turn out pretty well because he landed in a pretty good spot
1: Huh, he wasn't showing up to the Zoom meeting. So I wonder if he was uh, busy playing video games with some some homies at some, <laughs> at, at, at some house par- Or was it cards? Or was it both? It, it was, was cards for sure. I know was, that. I don't remember if it was video games, but I do know it was cards. It, oh, man, that's just, that might be, damn, we might have to do something about that. Maybe like a year from now or something. Yeah. just Because that was just the wildest thing with, between the watches and the money and the and the bribery. And and Quentin's lawyer being, I Googled Quentin's lawyer like after he, you know, was taking off the case. And I was like, oh my God. God. This is the shadiest dude Quentin could have possibly hired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was
2: a lot, lot of characters in this one. So, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, that's a, that'd be a whole, like, uh, Law and Order podcast because there's a lot of twists and turns in that story.
1: Well, uh, when he got a, uh, when he was, like, a free agent and everything was like, all right, cool, he's dropped. Uh, people were tweeting me, like, oh, maybe the Seahawks should sign. I was like, I don't think Quentin and DeAndre should hang out anymore. I just don't, uh, you know, <laughs> that's just, it does not even a football thing. I honestly didn't watch DeAndre play one snap last year, like, because that's the uh, Giants are in my bag. But I was like, you know, just from what I can tell, if nothing else, they were in a very bad place when everyone's supposed to be quarantining. <laughs> the last yeah. place you should be is at the party uh, w- w- with the homies. So yeah, that's, I'm glad the Chiefs kind of snatched that up uh, real quick. Before we get you out of here, we do have to do an over
3: and under, and it sounds as if Colt McCoy will be starting because, unfortunately, Daniel Jones has a hamstring injury. And do you like Drake, Dan?
2: Yeah, I can't say I'm like the biggest Drake guy, but what do you got for me?
3: Do you remember the song Forever in 2009? No. You're okay. Basically, Drake said, like a sprained ankle, boy, I ain't nothing to play with. And I think Drake should change that line like a strained hamstring. Boy, I ain't nothing to play with. Because, <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, hamstrings are vital. You you can't run without them. But on a serious note, we're going to go Colt McCoy over or under. I'm going to say one and a half interceptions, over or under on that.
2: Ooh, I'll, I'll take over. I think probably two. I mean, I don't think that, like I said, I don't think he's slinging it around, but um, I could see two interceptions pretty easily.
1: I am not mad at that. What was the over/under last? week? It was a Carson Wentz one and a half turnovers. Yep, and he
3: only had one. Went with the under, so that was right. And then you, and then I had the DK Metcalf Darius Slay one. Well, that didn't work out. Because well, it didn't work out under. for Slay. That was yeah. Bad. He went under one hundred fifteen and a half yards, and DK destroyed that with ten catches and one hundred seventy-seven yards. Jesus,
1: Jesus Christ, that's uh, that's bad. All right, well, Dan, we got to get you out of here. One last thing, we need a prediction from you. Give us a score. What you got? All right, so. Impression that no
2: Daniel Jones. I, I, I just talked about how they've kept every game close, but I think this one is like thirty-one to thirteen. I kind of can see Seattle beating up on them. I, I just think that that passing offense is is, is going to be a problem, and I just don't have a lot of faith in the, the Colt McCoy led offense to to keep up.
1: No faith in Colt McCoy, huh? That's funny. <laughs> I, I Dude, <laughs> it's just that's so wild to me that he's still in the league. It's just uh I was looking at his numbers before we had you on. And I was like, how is he still around? Like he's just never been really. Really good, but you know, good for Colt. Whatever, it, it's all right. Uh, Dan, real quick, are you verified on Twitter? Yes, sir. Oh, you are, huh? Well, so that's uh, that's just only you, Chris. That's uh, <laughs> that's, that's 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 not. Uh, where can people follow you on Twitter, Dan? Uh, D Duggan Twenty One. All right, make sure you guys go check out his work. Covers the Giants uh, for the Athletic, does some great stuff. Uh, he was on the DeAndre Baker beat uh, for months there, and, and yeah, I know you guys don't necessarily maybe care about how tough our jobs get, but it's something when you're trying to enjoy your summer and then you just like, oh no, this cornerback that I covered just might have robbed some folks. Like, oh, maybe he bribed some folks too. Oh, maybe he did both. I don't know. Let me put my let me, let me end my night to go hop on that. Uh, so yeah, kudos for all that work, Dan. Make sure you guys go all go check out. Uh, his stuff. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in to another episode of the Seahawks Man-to-Man podcast powered by The Athletic. Once again, shout out to the company. Uh, we will catch you guys on Sunday after What is that? The Seahawks going to beat the Giants 31-13. We have it right there.